and welcome to episode four and a half. This is the Pilgrims Digress. We are here digressing. It's me, Zach, and uh, Mr. Sagacity, the Sage One, and his vocal tummy today, <laughs> which you may hear in the background making all sorts of noises. I don't want you to feel like his wife's not feeding him. That's not the case. <laughs> no. The thing is that, uh, well, he doesn't want information about his life broadcast out there. You're going to share some. This gentleman, while thin as a rail, uh, has just reached his target weight, and uh, apparently... Either is very hungry or finally ate something and his stomach's trying to figure out what to, what to do with it. Uh, and when you say things, do you think about how hurtful it is when you say stuff like, I just reached my target weight to, to a guy like me who's sitting over here with a, you know? No, I'm looking to be an encouragement to you. Oh. If I can do it, you can do it. You're tougher than me. Well, I don't, I mean, you're, you're, I'm, I'm not targeting your weight. If I could be wherever you were, but when you started, Plus fifteen pounds, I'd be very happy. So, really? yeah, yeah, no okay. problem. All right. Um, are you taller than me? I'm six you? two. Six two. You're a little bit taller than me. You're okay. taller than me about an inch, inch and a half. Um, and yeah, if if I could weigh, when did this become a show about weight and health? Why why did you put the the spotlight on how heavy I am? It's kind of always been a show about <laughs> weight. <laughs> under the surface. Yeah, yeah, under the surface. All right, let's move on to talk about uh, the Pilgrim's progress. Uh, we've got a l- more. You were worried this morning. You wanted an environmental impact report for the podcast because uh, of the amount of paper we're going through. Yeah. Uh, we got green paper. We got white paper. That was just an accident. Got of- blue font. Yeah, we got some blue font. Uh, I'm trying to make things, I'm trying to delineate things easier for you. I tried to share these verses with you earlier, but your phone wouldn't let you read them. Well, I don't have access. Well, yeah, some some people have access, some people don't have access. <laughs> I can't explain what's going on. Uh, if you were, if you had reached your target weight earlier, you might <laughs> have had right. access. It's about the weight. <laughs> but um, we don't need to read all these. I'm going to obviously post all of them uh, in the show description on uh, whatever app you're using to access these, or you can always find... All this stuff at www.highandsilver.com. Also, if you're really quick at listening, as soon as we drop these things into the feed, or if you're on Patreon and you get them a couple days early, uh, and you hear a chapter and you think, oh, this would be an interesting topic for discussion, or mm-hmm. you know, some idea or question or something you want to send in, you can send it into pilgrim at highandsilver.com. That's pilgrim at that little squiggle at. Yeah. Shift two, Alex. Um, I wouldn't know that. At hiandsilver.com, <laughs> and maybe we'll uh, talk about it. And wouldn't that be a thrill for you? <laughs> <laughs> top 10%. Yeah, top 10%, baby. <laughs> All right, so it, it, the, the deal starts here with some verses about restoration and then about uh, Christian's approach to the rest of his journey to the gate. Uh, I think the first one is very easy to apply and, and understand. Uh, and probably my favorite couple verses in the New Testament are way, way, way up there. Uh, I, I recite this frequently in my preaching because it always seems to apply. We're always all falling. We're always all sinning. Uh, I mean, we're, we're not always sinning. I assume you're sinning in some way right now, but I'm not. It's a safe uh, bet. <laughs> but but we're, we're continually falling. Daily we sin, according to our Baptist confession. And we are, do well to remember 1 John 1, 8-9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that uh, is something then that I had evangelists remind Christian of. I felt like in Bunyan's work, he he, he compresses things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he had him just berate this guy. And then real quick be like, yeah, but it's okay. Jesus still loves you. But if you turn away again, he might stop. Like there was, there right. was, there was yeah. not enough restoration. Like the, uh, and so I, uh, in trying to maybe uh, evoke that restoration of Peter over a breakfast of fish, I wanted to re-emphasize for the the listener: there's there's still forgiveness after you after, you, especially if this guy's not even been relieved of his burden yet. Right. Of course, he's still struggling with going astray and sinning and things, and and that's not going to change. Uh, he's going to have to get pretty comfortable with the fact that. It's not all over when I drop the ball. Hmm. That that doesn't mean that I've been plucked out of God's hand or that he's dropped me or forgotten about me. Uh, so that that we put at the beginning. And then we get into uh, the kind of conclusion of the, the text from last week uh, in the original manuscript, which is as he walks away from this encounter at the foot of the mountain of legality, he doesn't greet anyone. He doesn't say anything to anyone. He's kind of a little gun shy about dealing with people. And the text that is given in the annotated version, and of course, I, I, we have to divide what's been added later, mm -hmm. uh, which is all of these references. But in most cases, it's obvious what's being referenced uh, and, and cited. Uh, Luke 10, 4, this is when Jesus sends out the 72 uh, but there's similar language uh, when he sends out the 12, two by two. Uh, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. And uh, I tried to also tie that in with the way faithful leaves empty-handed. No sword, no purse, no extra anything. What do you think he's doing here by attributing this idea to Christian at this point in his, in his journey? That he's not going to greet anyone on the road? You know, I... I don't honestly know because it seems it seems like a really dangerous idea and concept. Yeah, to become know? very self-obsessed, my salvation, yes. my. I yeah. mean, we've seen him pulled away from the road already by what other people tell him. So you know, maybe it's a a reaffirmation to to really be looking for and be I don't say nervous about other people early on in your walk. Mm -hmm. But he seems to like not fully have that Berean uh, ability yet, you know. Where like with some people he does, where when he uh, when he talks to uh, pliable and obstinate, he has the ability to show them in the scriptures. This is why I think this. This is why I think that. Here, let me show you this. Let me show you these promises. But he doesn't have any counters for you know Mister Worldly Wise Man. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, he he's coming out of. Deep depression mm -hmm. at that point. I think you have two two times that he interacts, right? Mm -hmm. One that seems promising with pliable, and it ends with him in the middle of a conversation falling into this slough that should have been plain to him, but wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then another interaction with a false teacher or, or just the world in general, I guess, the world's uh, culture and, and worldview saying, go aside in this other direction. So he's been burned a couple times in that sense. Here's the full context of, of the passage. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into this harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. 
Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Um, and he talks about, you know, if, if they don't receive you, knocking the dust off your sandals and all these things. I think he hasn't yet even gotten to the gate. Mm-hmm. He certainly hasn't been to Calvary. And maybe he's recognizing that just like this is early, this is early before before Calvary has even happened, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Luke 10. And then later on, he tells them, listen, when you go out for real, not on the training mission, you know, that you've entered into the, the life of discipleship that will go on until your martyr's death in 11 out of 12 situations, uh, do bring an extra coat. Do bring, you know, if you don't have a a sword, sell your cloak and buy one, bring the knapsack, bring the money, bring, you know, bring everything because this is going to be a tough road. Uh, there's there's some distinction there between the earlier and the later. And I, I think maybe there is some wisdom in his saying, I need to make sure that I am saved hmm. before I become, you know, a guide to others. Right. So you don't end up the blind leading the blind. Or, yeah. 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 He does. He's going to lead someone else off the path to the next you know, guy looking to sell something, some kind of false religion or false idea. And his yeah. zeal leads him to say to Pliable, come with me. Yes, absolutely. And that's a good thing. Like zeal without knowledge, though. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't It doesn't work out well. And, of course, that's in Pliable, too. Pliable's not the the, the good soil. Mm. Um, and that's not Christian's fault. But he's, he's going to, we're going to see him uh, change this approach after he's gone up to the place of deliverance and continues on his way. Uh, like when talkative comes along. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not, <laughs> at that point, it's the yeah. opposite of say nothing or greet no one on the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when he reaches the gate, uh, as he's been told, just to knock, it's uh, reemphasized with the, the words of Jesus engraved on the door. From Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Wonderful words and when he knocks it eventually is opened. Although the guy in Bunyan's words is a little bit kind of standoffish Uh, and I think that's because there's a, a tension here. Tell me what you think of this. That he says, you know, who are you? Where do you come from? What is it you would have? Uh, and there's a little bit of a grilling before he's allowed in. But then he says, everyone who comes to this gate will never be cast out, be no wise cast out. There's the implication that you have to come to the gate with the right heart, the contrite heart. And uh, we'll see that in a text in a minute. What are your thoughts on applying this to the initial salvation? A lot of people will apply this to daily prayer. Right, they'll say, um, you know, keep on asking God for things, ask and you will receive. But is this more talking about seek and you will find Jesus? You will find truth. Knock and the door to relationship with God, eternity, the the narrow way will be open to you. The the celestial city will be open to you. Ask and you will receive the good things, the good portion, the good inheritance. I think it's exactly what it is. And the questions that... um who is it? Uh, Goodwill, right? Yeah, Goodwill's it's, the gatekeeper. Yeah, the gatekeeper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the questions that Goodwill asks, the character seems standoffish, I think, because it's such a short little snippet of like a character, but it, they aren't wrong questions. And the questions he asks after he's already let him in, why are you alone? Why are you, you know, you know, you know, oh, you didn't have your family. And then, you know, 
oh, I had some neighbors that I brought along. You know, oh, well, this happened to this one. This one. He's not he's not in the wrong, I think, for asking any of the stuff of Christian that he's asking. And they're, they're nothing compared to the grilling he's going to get at the gate or the, at the front door of the uh, Castle Beautiful. Right. The, that, uh, the Palace Beautiful. That, that, that is like, we're going to either accept you into membership of the church or not. Right. Uh, and so there's got to be a, a real in-depth interview going on. This is just, yeah, who are you? Why are you here? What is your, what is your intention? And that's any gatekeeper. I think because gatekeepers are, are or even, you know, the notion of um, a toll house uh, is kind of foreign to us now. You know, you, you right. drive by a toll checkpoint with a, a barcode and it just charges you later. Um, the idea of somebody whose responsibility is to keep the security of a gate was not foreign even in the 17th century. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy would be completely remiss in his duties if he didn't ask the basic questions. And he's more than willing, with all his heart, he says, to let him in when he finds out, I'm a broken, contrite sinner, burdened sinner. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving, I'm fleeing destruction, the, the wrath that is to come, and I'm headed to the celestial city, not only to avoid damnation, but also mostly to serve the king there. And they fit in well, I think, with some of the Beatitudes. The things that are being expected of you, um, almost seemingly pre-salvation, is that you know you are this meek individual. You are thirsting after righteousness and holiness. And these things that are um, expected of you that the people before couldn't answer or couldn't give accurate answers to. Yeah. You know, let's, you know, let's pretend that Pliable actually made it this far. What are his answers here going to be? Why am I here? Right. Well, and, you know, and his answers would have to do with, I mean, things to obtain, things I to have, obtain and things to avoid, but no change of heart. Well, no change of heart, but I mean, not even there's not even the aspect of like who he is and and the worthiness of who's to be worshipped, mm-hmm. which is Christian's ultimate answer. You know, his you know, first words after he knocks are, I am an unworthy, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not a worthy guest of the king. But and, and so, yeah, Pliable would probably say, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an opportunist mm-hmm. in, in not as, as many words. But, yeah, I'm, I'm someone who knows a good deal when I see one. Yeah. And, and Christian has really described a, a great deal for me. Uh, whereas I'm going to Mount Zion. Here's a few passages that uh, the the subbing in of Mount Zion for the celestial city uh, may break the analogy or the allegory <laughs> a little bit here, but uh, I think it's good every once in a while to to bring in the biblical imagery as well. Uh, Psalm two six. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Uh, Psalm forty eight one to three. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Uh, And, you know, there is the notion then that there's a great fortress that he's on his way to. Mm -hmm. Whereas we see that Beelzebub has his great fortress here at this fork in the road. Yeah, and and I mean that's the answer that you know uh, 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 Apollyon gives, right? Is that you know these, these are my lands. I'm the prince of this place. You know, you're looking to abandon me and go somewhere else. Where, yeah, you almost have this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the concept of like drawing up a map. You didn't almost have to have like a line, you know, like right here, his lands, and then mm-hmm. and then you know the celestial lands, and then even though there are things inside of Beelzebub's lands that are laid from the king, right? 
the way through the slough and this, you know, beginning of the pilgrim's way are all in his land, which I think is interesting. But it's a, it, it's not so much of like a, a hard line. Well, there's not a hard line before you go through the, the wide gate or the narrow gate. Mm-hmm. But after you go through, we find out in part two that, that there's right. a wall right away. And it's, it's so close to the, the narrow gate that hearing a dog bark mm-hmm. angrily on the other side of that wall, it's scary. Yeah. It's almost like you think it's right on the other side of the gate. So there's, there's a, a hard delineation once you've gone through the gate in the allegory. Yeah. Uh, but not before. You're in Beelzebub's land still until, even at this point, when he's knocked on the gate door, he's still not. That's why there's this last attempt mm. to take him out before he enters in the gate, because there's something definitive about that. Now, there are people who go through the gate and then come back. Right. Uh, without, you know, a Mr. Timorous, etc., without really receiving salvation. But when you go in, then at that point, apparently, Beelzebub, he's taking a chance. You know, mm. he, there are areas where he's he can come over the wall, or maybe there's he's tunneled or whatever, so he can get to the Valley of Humiliation or mm-hmm. somewhere, or, or he just flies with his dragon wings. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, this is all stuff that was in the Much cooler. teaser cold open at the, at the first chapter, so we're not skipping ahead too much but like yeah you're right he's now in the land of the great king and i think there's a great tension there for the biblical truth because we're framed especially in the general epistles uh and in the typology of the old testament as being strangers aliens sojourners Mm. pilgrims ourselves but pilgrims not on the king's land but also not not on the king's land, right? So you right. have Satan's the god of this world, so we're aliens and we don't belong here. But you also have, depending on your eschatology, uh, via my eschatology, the notion that, you know, the Kyperian idea, there's not one thumbbread of the universe about which Jesus Christ has not said, this is mine. Mm-hmm. And so it belongs to him, uh, and he's reclaiming it now. Uh, the announcement of the kingdom is what goes out. We don't have to build the kingdom. It's you know, built, but we are walking then simultaneously on the king's land and, and under his reign, Christ reigns now, but also there is the God of this world who's been expelled from heaven and is now, you know, stalking about as a roaring lion. And I think both, I, th- I think Bunyan does a good job of capturing both of those realities, which as an allegory is a tall order. Mm. <laughs> you know? Um, what about, uh, I want to just read this text. We don't even need to probably discuss it. It's just awesome. Uh, this, uh, Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's I don't like reading the Bible because it's boring. <laughs> Good grief! There's so much there. That's just I want to I want to just uh, read that about ten more times. I'll do that after we're done, though. It'd be really yeah. if I just kind of sat here and silently read that over and over again. That'd make for bad radio. Bad radio. Yeah. <laughs> then Hans Booby, this is not television. If it was television, you could watch me read it silently. I think that's the other podcast, though. I think you're doing the other podcast. No, that's just me. Can I can I be me on this? I mean, no. <laughs> did, you, did you hear that a wheezing cough? Yeah. I'm, I better make sure I'm you on also the right sound road. Yeah. <laughs> but make fun of me more. <laughs> I was making fun of you because you're uh, a specimen, a picture of health, and mm. I don't know how to deal with it, but, you know. Wheeze. <laughs> 
Um, now, the, the idea that Goodwill is willing with all his heart, it, I, I have a hard time when you get to uh, the second part, the gatekeeper seems to maybe almost even be Jesus. I don't, I, and, and they deal with him very casually, so I'm not going to present him as such. He's still going to be goodwill, and, and, you know, people kind of, different aspects of God's character even kind of are allegorized here. Goodwill being just kind of a representation of God's open arms for us, mm-hmm. uh, if we enter with the right heart. Psalm 51, which we're going to read uh, in its entirety here in about a week at our Ash Wednesday service, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And uh, the idea that if we come, I, I love um, Rock of Ages, the stanza, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me savior or I die. And that is kind of the heart of how you come to the gate hmm. and God will never turn you away. It's backwards from every other religion in existence where you have to become worthy and gain access to this God. Instead, you gain access to the God by acknowledging you could never become worthy Hmm. and then are made legally worthy by his proclamation and slowly more and more practically live a life worthy of your calling. And it's the only way it can really work. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, it highlights it. It highlights how dangerous everything he's come from really is. All these people convincing him that that's the opposite of the truth. You know, come with me. I'll show you real morality. I'll show you real comfort. I'll show you all the things that you could have. You know, just put a smile on, act like it's okay. Where it's the complete opposite of anything saving, of anything that could really actually impact you or change you ever. All it could do is uh, increase your confidence in the flesh, yeah, in your own sin nature, mm-hmm. and your own fallen self, and it can give you a false sense of piety and, and confidence in yourself, and it can harden your heart to the gospel yeah, and sear your conscience so that, yeah, the standard answer, if you ask someone, when you die, will you go to heaven, which mm-hmm. I still think is a, a valid uh, opener if you're trying to <laughs> bring the gospel to somebody. I think people think of that as a, I even think of it as kind of an old-fashioned you know, rooted in an old way of uh, of uh, the world presenting itself, you know, where everyone kind of thought, well, when I die, will I go to heaven or hell? And now it's very out of fashion to even think in those terms. People are thinking about reincarnation or mm-hmm. are becoming part of the collective consciousness or something. But I think when you ask someone that, they still will go right to, well, yeah, I think I've done more good than bad. The old scales kind of thing. And no, you haven't. Sorry. Neither have I. <laughs> right. uh, or, or they'll go to, I haven't killed anybody or these really extreme things. I haven't embezzled money from my boss. I haven't broken up any marriages or whatever the case. Mm-hmm. And, and all of these things are what the world is going to push on Christian. He shows up against all odds with this broken and contrite heart and this desire to enter in where he's not even worthy to go. Mm. But the grace of God will allow him. And that can only happen by the working of the Spirit. And, and it's interesting in your, in your version how you have people that are already walking back, which I think is interesting. You know, you know they're already walking back, which leads me to believe that, that they got to this point mm. and they don't have these answers. Or in the quiet moments, they sat down and they asked themselves these questions. And the answers that they came out with, even you know, honestly, were not satisfactory. Yeah. I don't really want this. I when don't... you look at Jesus' ministry, there's a lot of those people, mm-hmm. right? But 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 making it making it past the slough. Mm. Let's say let's say they even went through it. 
you know, and then and then getting to that point and having to ask yourself really hard, tough questions and then the door remaining shut to you because you don't have the right mentality to be here. So the, uh, the gatekeeper is not as inclusive as as he should be and he would be canceled today <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. there's a right kind of heart to have and a wrong kind of heart to have to come yeah. in. But here's the thing. There, there are obviously people who didn't have the right heart later on on the road. I mean, for example, right. I just mentioned uh, Timorous. Yeah. Uh, you've got um, these three guys that are asleep that we're going to meet in, in a couple of weeks uh, that he tries to wake up. And uh, you've got a number of people beyond the gate. There are other ways in, though. In, yeah. <laughs> dude, yeah. You're Over so the hungry. <laughs> I'm not hungry. I'm, I'm digesting, dude. <laughs> I like how, you, you know what, your generation digestion. has to be showy about everything, right? Like, I mean, when I digest my food, yeah. I keep it quiet. <laughs> no, I, I want you to know. I want you to know. It's, I'm so special. You know, in fact, I'm going to Instagram live. Just, I'm going to put the mic up to this is the This is the new social media. Right, yes. I digestion. Is, yeah. I have to take a picture of the food before I eat it, and then I yeah. have to share it with the world. It's so real, you could touch it <laughs> if you want. You reach down and hold my belly. No, it's not doing anything. It's like when, a, yeah, she's like, it'll kick if it's you hold kicking. it long enough. Yeah. There, there's other ways in, you know, we're, they're, they're tumbling in over the wall. Right. Coming in, and, and that, I think, is fitting because there are, churches are full of people who appear to be walking the narrow road, but didn't come through the, the small gate, the wicked gate. They came in via whatever other method um, through social involvement, through uh, moral improvement, whatever mm-hmm. they can, or through a, you know, even, you know, people who come in through good things. Like I, I, it was all the rage for a while, this class called Alpha that was basically like Christianity 101. It was pan-denominational. Uh, I think it's still around probably. And a lot of people learned about faith and a lot of people became involved in churches. You know, all of them weren't coming through the narrow gate. And that happens anytime you have some kind of outreach or, mm. or whatever. There's going to be people just like even amongst the 12, there was one who wasn't right. regenerate. And, and Jesus prayed all night before he chose them. Uh, that one, that was by God's ordination, that they're the son of perdition. Uh, among the, the throngs following Jesus, as soon as the teaching got hard, they said, I'm out of here. Yeah. So it's, it's normal. I, I have to imagine, though, when people are entering in via false motives and false means, they don't have this kind of attack that he faces. This last minute, last ditch, I'm going to shoot you dead before you make it through the gate Mm, mm -hmm. because I know you're pretty well lost to me. In fact, when he makes it through the next real, well, there there, there are here and there different attempts uh, to trip him up and slow him down. But the next real attempt to reverse his progress and to reclaim him. Apollyon himself has to to leave his throne and go try to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a big undertaking, and it would be a big get. But at this point, they're just kind of blind firing, desperate shots at him. And here's here's something that I think is interesting in the way when you um, kind of harmonize the story of Christian and faithful. There's two different attempts. One of them is the lion strategy of Satan. We've talked about this: the, the straightforward attack. Uh, he shoots burning arrows at him. The other one is the serpent strategy. Uh, he mm-hmm. he sends uh, like wanton. I almost said wanton. It's not wanton, <laughs> although that would be a delicious temptation for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, wanton is very nearly successful 
in drawing Faithful away, mm-hmm. these two guys have different backgrounds. Yeah. And uh, we, we've discussed and, and agree with uh, Derek Thomas's assumption that Faithful was a very religious guy in the establishment church. And so he has this background where the law really has a, a hard effect on him in pushing him out. Hmm. And he he seems to have a background, at least in the way I've portrayed him, uh, a little bit more of a, a cad, if you will. Uh, he's he's a womanizer. He's a partier. He's n- he's unattached. He does he's not a family man. Yeah. And so it's far more. It, he has this former association with, and this idea of you know one last, one last party, one last night, one last uh, act of, of fornication, whatever. Which you know wouldn't be one last anything. It would be a turning yeah, back. Exactly. Two very different attacks, both with the same goal: keep these people out from this gate. Yeah, well, and the and the logic of wanton is one that's continuous, you know, because the road will always be here tomorrow, mm-hmm. and then just one more night, because the road's still going to be there tomorrow, and still going to be there tomorrow until. Are you really you ready know, to say goodbye to all this? Right, and then the trumpet blows. Yeah, and it's too late. Yeah, and it's not there tomorrow anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the real trick there is that don't necessarily pull them fully away. Just keep them docile and sleeping long enough to where. They're on the edge of true change. They're on the edge of uh, true faith. But, you know, there's that last thing that they're making provision for. And if you can offer that to them and keep them, I think that's in the screw tape letters, and I don't remember which one, but, like, keeping them, like, in religion but focused yeah. on other stuff. And then and then in that way you completely ruin their soul. Yeah, the, um, the, and, and it's the St. Francis de Sales constantly handling the outside of holy things until mm-hmm. they become common and there's no real sense of disconnect between me living this life of sin and me walking into the sanctuary and even taking the elements. Like, I'm comfortable with it all kind of being together. I'm at the gate, so I'm nearby the holy things. I'm also daily in, in uh, sexual immorality or drunkenness or materialism and greed or hatred or whatever the case. And over time, it gets easier and easier this conversation with with Wanton of having to keep him back becomes shorter and shorter until it's just assumed every day. Well, it's very Augustine. Yeah, right? in my I'm mind, now. honestly, with Faithful, my thought was somebody like what you read about in his confessions, like mm-hmm. somebody who's continually racked with bouts of guilt, but not Luther, but who's, live with who's my like, prostitute. I won't do anything yeah. that might upset God, but I still know that I am at enmity with God. Yeah. Augustine's more like, once in a while, I feel this overwhelming sense of crushing guilt. I have to talk but to yeah. my mom. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. go and I'll, I'll talk with mom and, I'll, and Monica will make me feel better for a while. But yeah. I still go back to my sin. Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. Lord, give me faith, but not yet. And and so that's two different approaches. And the enemy tailors his response to to that approach. Yeah. What are you thinking of? You're thinking of something clever. I see that. Well, I know that look. it's not clever at all. Much like the show is not clever, but when you said Monica, I imagined him in like an episode of Friends. That's funny. Earlier when I was uh, trying to see if I could feel your your stomach making noise, I was thinking of of Friends. Yeah, there was a time when one of them was pregnant, and uh, she was like, "Oh, my baby's kicking," and then it stopped. And and uh, I don't know, Chandler or somebody was like, "I never get to feel it." And Joey said, "Hey, I got some stuff going on over here," (laughs) which I always thought was a very funny joke. Oh, interesting. Gosh, the fact that you and I are. Overly familiar with friends? I wouldn't say that. Kills the mystique. I wouldn't, I wouldn't of risk the pilgrims. that. 
I want, I've seen it once Overly, all the way through. Yeah, I haven't seen it all the way through once. Oh, really? A little oh. better than you. So you're a little, yeah. Yeah. We knew that. Okay, here's the text that goes along with Goodwill pulling Christian through uh, as the arrows come flying in. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Not to get uh, too Calvinistic here, mm. uh, like our particular Baptist forebears, but... Uh, that word draws, I mean, that is, we're going to read a little later from James. Uh, when anyone sins, it's because he is enticed and dragged away by his own yeah. shameful lust. That's a fishing term, dragging away. Same Greek word here. Hmm. Uh, you could translate this, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me drags him. Hmm. Uh, often a bit against our will. And in this last, I mean, he's he's given up a lot to get to this point. But it, the picture of salvation is not... Um, he says, now I want you to choose. Here's an ice cream sundae. And here's, you know, he, he says, oh, you're here at the gate and you have the right heart. And he just grabs him yeah. and yanks him in before it's too late. There's a bit of a heavy handedness to it. And I find that comforting that he cares enough about us that when we come to his door, he draws us in. I, I think it's important to, to recognize that this, this kind of thing happens not contra the the free will of man, but what we call compatibilism, the idea that he gives us, he un, unshackles our, our will. Our will was in bondage to sin and uh, now free to, to pursue him. Christian is more than happy to be dragged in, even though it's a little jarring. And he's like, yeah. what just happened? Yeah. He's so happy to be on the other side and that much closer to his burden falling off. Uh, I, I popped in the idea uh, just to make it more of an exciting scene initially. And then there's kind of some maybe biblical imagery. I want to know if you think it's heretical or not. Okay. Uh, where uh, as the, the arrows are coming in, Goodwill kind of swings his uh, shield in front and takes the first couple. Because Christian doesn't have the shield yet, the shield of faith. Oh, yeah. uh, and maybe, you know, I, I think of when Jesus sees the paralytic coming in through the ceiling that's been ripped apart. And he sees the faith of his friends. And he says, you know, I'm going to heal this guy. And, mm. and your sins are forgiven. Uh, that there's, there's a real place for, and not for vicarious faith that's going to be, you know, the instrumental means of your salvation, but for the faith of others who come around you as you are struggling with these things initially to kind of protect you and to be there for you to lean on. And I, I don't think that there's any uh, issue with that biblically, but... I don't know what verse I would pop in there either. <laughs> and if, and if uh, you know, Michael Horton called me tomorrow and said, I want you to cut that out of your podcast, it's, it's uh, dangerous. I'd probably do it. Yeah, if that happens. Oh, he's a listener. Top 10%. cut <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> Silence. If you want to think about whether or not you want to, you want to no, file I, formal I, I, charges. I just think that's an interesting, interesting concept. I mean, I guess you kind of seen it with evangelist a bit, or or like like people that are coming alongside you and they're evangelizing, you know, you know, and they're praying for you and yeah. they're, you know, certainly that could be an aspect of it where like there is their faith isn't saving you, but their faith is aiding you on yeah. to yeah. salvation. Yeah, that's the whole role of the why we're given yeah. the church and why the church is there and why it's far wiser and safer to look into a relationship with God in the context of a church than yeah. just sitting at home watching YouTube videos if you're possibly thinking about, you know, do I want this in my life, as, as people always are. 
um, you should be looking at the community of faith because that's the context in which the gospel is uh, ordained to be preached as a means of grace, not overly privatized and isolated from everyone else and everything else around you. He wants to protect this guy in this moment that's so very important. And, you know, that might even look like, to, to duck out of the allegory, him having some last questions. And the satanic attack is these just hardcore doubts and someone being there whose faith is more mature and, and is more thought out to be able to say, well, there are answers to these things. Hmm. And and kind of say, you, you can, maybe you don't have all the answers, but you've seen that I was able to answer some of your questions and you see that this is not, you know, check your brain at the door and, you know, jump into Scientology or something. <laughs> but rather, you know, there there is reason for the hope I have within and I'm going to share that with you. And yeah. in that sense, my faith kind of shields you and and... Um, those last few feet to the doorway, you know, or whatever form these fiery darts take, uh, when you don't yet have the shield of faith, it is useful to have someone with you who does. Yeah. You know, I mean, that last minute when Christian rejects Wanton, I like that. I like that the way that you had it set up is that he realizes even though it worked, there was faulty thinking in it. Mm -hmm. He thinks of himself first, then his wife, then his Lord. Um, and it should have been completely opposite. It should have been his lord, his wife, and then himself. Where, where you know, that could be that, you know, you know, you know, last dart firing of like, what about your wife? Think again about what you're doing. You're completely severing yourself in a lot of ways from this relationship. Um, it's not going to get easier now. No, no. This is the get... last point at which you could say, forget it. It's not worth the trouble and go back to how things were. Yeah. And you're not going to because you're going through that gate. Yeah, and then and then and someone stepping forward and saying, "Well, let me take that for you. Here are these tough questions. Remain in that marriage. You might be the one that can sanctify. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Remain in that marriage. You're the one that's going to be able to preach the gospel most effectively to this person. Even if your children are now kind of mocking you yeah. and and longing for the days before all this, what about their souls? Yeah. If you just drop all this and th now they're going to be the ones with the burden on their back. Do you want them to go through what you've gone through? Mm. And, and there, yeah, there, so there are answers to it. I also like that goodwill, and this is more played out at uh, almost uh, painfully long and recapping everything, but he, he's like, he's really like, why are you alone? What are you doing here alone? Yeah. Yeah, isn't, wasn't anyone there to come with you? And wh why did that not work out? Why did that not? Because it's not that smart to be walking up to this gate alone. It's better to come alone than not at all. But uh, so it's not even that he figures out between the first and second parts that the Christian life should be more communal. It's yeah. that he's sharing his story and he walked this road to some degree alone to the point where, you know, these these uh, poor women call Gifford over and say, there's this guy who's just a mess you need to talk to. Mm -hmm. And his pastor comes and talks to him. But look how much better off he'll be when he's walking side by side with faithful yeah. and hopeful. And they're able to even rebuke each other sometimes and mm -hmm. encourage each other and protect each other. And when they're in Doubting Castle, one of them is able to say to the other one, hold on, don't yeah, rush don't, into anything. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be so much better for him. At this moment, though, just anyone to come alongside. And I think that's a great application here as Christians to, to be on the lookout. It's important for us to be building these strong relationships with people where you know each other, you care for each other. I, you know, if you're in a dark place, I think I'll know because I'll, I'll, I'll know you, 
But we also need to be on guard and on the lookout for opportunities with people maybe we don't have great relationships with, where God might have just put them in proximity to us because they're in a situation where they need someone to to reach out to them. Mm. Um, I remember uh, my my good buddy in Bible college would always notice people if they were even, and I think I've kind of in, absorbed this from him, if they were even just like sitting on their front porch with kind of their face in their hands, just looking dejected. And he would walk up and say, are you okay? Is there anything I can, and he would try to, uh, if they were saying, you know, like, get out of here, he'd say, okay, well, I'm praying for you. But if they opened up, and surprisingly often they would, he'd be ready with the gospel, you know? And mm. and if you're in church and there's someone, you know, that you you don't really, you aren't that close to, and you go, I, I kind of sense, or the spirit is even kind of nudging me that this person is going through something and they need, you know, maybe it's out of the ordinary for you to even go out to lunch on a Sunday afternoon, but say, you know, why don't we grab lunch or whatever, you know, be, be watchful for people who are going it alone, who are maybe at a crossroads or under attack or in the slough and need you to be help to grab them and pull them out. Yeah. You know, because help is a guy who helps the pilgrim, but then later pilgrim is help. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I, yeah. So all of these are, they're us and they're, <laughs> and they're somebody else to us at different points in life. Yeah. We're not, we're not here to hide our lights. You know, we're meant to be the city on the hill. You were talking this week in your sermon about, about the concept of, you know, saved alone and how sad of a concept that is and and how that's not what we're meant to be as you know Christians we're meant to be this beacon of hope we're meant to be this um, thing that's able to reach into the darkest places you know and, and and pull people into the light working being worked through obviously by the grace of God but yeah I think that that's um, I think that that's something that we should all always be on the lookout for it's just a way in which we can we can convey the gospel. We can convey true, actual, real hope to a hopeless, fallen world. There's always a way we could be redeeming the time in that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I don't think we want to put the heavy yoke of the law on ourselves of like, oh my gosh, I watched TV for half an hour tonight <laughs> to unwind when I could have been making right. calls to, you know, yeah. lonely people. That I think we, we need to be open as we go about our lives to the leading of the Spirit and be... I think if we just kept our faces out of our phones most mm. of the time while we're going about, you know, while you're at the bank, while you're in the grocery store, while you're walking down the street, we would see that there are lots of opportunities missed mm. because we're absorbed in our own amusement. You know, amusement coming from the root muse to mean think and mm. ah, which means not. These things that keep mm. us from thinking, keep us from being alone with our thoughts, keep us from thinking about the world around us and observing it to just power those down and put them away so that we can be used of God to be goodwill to someone or to be help to someone or to be faithful to a Christian. Hmm. When, when you smile like that, with that, with that like uh, knowing smile, I always wonder what you're thinking. And only about two thirds of the time do you say it. That's probably for the best. <laughs> it's, it's, often, it's, it's too often that I say it, I think. so. <laughs> It could have been gold. I don't know. It could have been gold. It wasn't. It was. <laughs> All right. It was bronze at best. Let's skip. To, let's skip down to uh, the idea that there's the 
narrow way. It, I wonder, I have been meaning to look into this and the relationship between the words and this kind of thing, but the the King James, it's a straight gate, right? S-T-R-A-I-T. That means small. It means narrow. It's just a synonym for narrow. And then you get this idea of the straight and narrow from the parallelism in there. Wide mm -hmm. is the gate and broad is the path. Straight is the gate and narrow is the path. But then over time, and I, I had assumed this was later in history than the 17th century, you get stay on the straight and narrow with the G-H in straight, meaning it's a straight road that doesn't have twists and turns to it. Hmm. I feel like even though he says this is as straight as a straight line can be, as you follow him, there are twists and turns in this road. Right. Uh, you know, like when they, they see, if you pop over to this other side, you can stay alongside the road. And, you know, like there's definitely uh, some turns to it. But uh, you also have uh, these other many twisting, curving mm. roads that butt up to it that he needs to be aware of. Right. So like straight is in there's no forks in this road. You're never going to reach a point where it's on the same trail. There's, there's this way and then there's that way. And you have to pick. If you do reach that, you've reached a point where one of these other ways abuts to it, and it should be fairly obvious, I would think. You'd almost have to backtrack to go back on that on mm. that path. Or you'd have to like look off in the distance and choose to take a shortcut, maybe, which they do later. Well, yeah, and, and I'm trying to think of the one... I think it happens once, right? And it's right before the castle... In Downing Castle, they fall asleep. They start trying to go through... Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I think they cross over a stream, though, right? They leave the path, cross over a stream, mm -hmm. and then they get on a, on a different path that looks like it'll be a shortcut. And then it turns out to not be a shortcut. It gets too dark. They get lost. Yeah. So it wasn't like they came to a fork in the road and chose wrong. They chose yeah. to get off, off the narrow the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it is straight in that that's the only path your feet should be on. But it's not as straight as any straight line. Uh, you know, it didn't lead right into the celestial city. Uh, yeah, I think know. there's a danger in telling people it's going to be straight in the sense of you're going to get on this road and you're going to get holier every day. Yeah. And you're going to overcome your temptations and trials more every day. Yeah. It's going to be straight progress. And if you find yourself going, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm, you know, taking 100 steps and only making six inches of progress, mm -hmm. then you're doing it wrong. Maybe you're not doing it wrong. Stay. That, that's why I, I, I don't know how much of this in, was intended by Bunyan, but the notion that you pass through that gate and the, the shining light is still off there, that's the, the celestial city. You can still keep your eyes on that, but sometimes that will be obscured as you're on this road. There are yeah. times it's not as clear to you. You, you, know, you go, you know, I, I got to just by faith keep putting one foot in front of the other on the narrow road, trusting that will come back into view that the hope that I had before will rekindle and the fire that I had before will rekindle, but I'm going to keep on walking forward anyway. Mm -hmm. the, the verse here for that is uh, for the, the discerning the straight road from the many false ways. Uh, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. What, what did you think of uh, the idea of Beelzebub's fortress uh, off in the distance also being the locale of the wide gate. Being like kind of yeah. simultaneously this welcoming, hey everybody, come on in, and this military outpost. I think it fits thematically with a lot of the gospel because one looks really royal and the other one is like this ramshackle of sticks that does not look like a royal king's way. And that's a lot of 
the way in which Christ came. That's a lot of the way in which the yeah. gospel's presented. It's not this, you know, palace and gold and all of this stuff. From the very beginning, it's a food trough. It's a food trough. It's a guy who there's nothing special about he's him. He's homeless. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> I mean, right. Yeah. He has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, and, 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 you know, this is the absolute sovereign ruler of the universe by which everything is being held together. I think that I think thematically it fits right in that it's apparent which one's compensating. Mm, you know, right? You know, you yeah, know, it's a uh, because who's you know, building a show and who's yes, Christ the says, real thing. Yeah. Here is where the good is, and it's at the end of your road. And then here's you know Satan saying, "Well, here's the good, mm-hmm. and I have it, and you're gonna it's gonna walk you right off a cliff." But it's going to be pretty. There's going to be a pretty view while you're walking off the cliff. Which is passion and patience personified, right? I hadn't even thought about that. That kind of is is foreshadowed in in seeing the one gate and the other and how one of them says, have the good stuff now. It's an easy road. It's wide and luxurious and and well-paved versus, and it's not as dangerous while you're on it. No one's going to give you any hard time or anything. Everyone's going to be happy and and embrace you and say you're brave for however you're living. Yeah. But if you go on this road, you will be mocked. You will have trials and it doesn't look like much. And no one's going to say, oh, wow, you went there. It's a working church office, folks. The phone rings. It's we just push right through it. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about uh, the interpreter's house. I guess we're going to have to talk about it rather quickly. But uh, that's okay. Um, the this is my favorite part of probably the whole part one, uh, and I know that you love the interpreter's house too. It's so clever. You and I wanted to keep on when we were doing a class on this. Just keep on talking about this, and I think some of the other gentlemen wanted to move on uh, after we'd kind of just covered the basics. So maybe I think we can... it's when we talk, though. I think they want to move on. <laughs> whenever when, we say anything. whenever we say anything, we go. It's time to move on. Yeah. Are you doing that thing I don't like where your mouth moves and sound comes out of the front of your face? Um, but let's talk about this, the interpreter himself and the placement of it, the ter- interpreter's house, hmm. before the place of redemption. And I think the idea of the interpreter as kind of a picture of the ministry of the Spirit, almost concurrent with, as he's just in that last few steps to the the cross where the, the burden will come off his back, the Spirit is now revealing things to him. Yeah, uh, I love that picture. I I gotta say I don't I don't have the beef that so many people have. And someone who came to faith really early in life and didn't have like a long, uh, drawn out struggle with do what do I do with all this sin and how, what am I giving up and everything. I still look at it and and look at the lives of the saints and the lives of the people I know and go, no, this seems pretty accurate. That there are a number of things that come before the the falling off of the burden. It isn't usually, we've mentioned before, even if someone's like, yeah, I went to a Billy Graham crusade and I heard the gospel priest in 1983 and I went forward and I said a prayer and I gave my life to Jesus and I'm one of the ones who actually didn't backslide but got plugged into a church, your story didn't start there. There was more before that. God was at work before that. And the Spirit's at work before that, you know, calling you to himself, convicting you of sin and revealing things to you, I would certainly argue We've got, uh, here. I'm going to read real quick three things from John 14, 15, and 16. In, in the Gospel of John, Jesus does a lot of kind of advanced PR for the coming of the Spirit. <laughs> uh, you know, you're sad to see me go, but I'm telling you, you're yeah. going to like the one who comes after me, who I'm sending, and the Father is sending. So we read, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And then John 16 and 13 and 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This I think is exactly what we see the interpreter doing, declaring the things about Jesus and applying them to this guy. And when he comes to the, the, literal crossroad that was corny um (laughs) he's he's been given all the knowledge he needs he knows what's happening in that moment do you want to talk at all about you know you told me a few weeks ago some things that the the spirit revealed to you in the midst of your conversion uh that were apart from even your reading of the scriptures or or kind of opening your eyes illumination to and widening of your understanding in the midst of that yeah, yeah. So um, I got I got saved, and then shortly after, a, a rather um, I don't know, so medium sized rabble of people that I knew got saved as well. There was there was a real ignorance of biblical things uh, amongst us. You know, none of us were really raised in a church. We were raised with loose interpretations of kind of you know Judaic Christian values and. Um, uh, so there were things that we were able to kind of discuss and talk about that was so foreign and yet as it got revealed later on, we're so dead on and correct about what the gospel is that in my belief, it, it had to have been, you know, the Holy Spirit's teaching, the Holy Spirit's leading, keeping us free of error or sin or whatever mm-hmm. for a particular time until we could find, um, an appropriate church family or enough guideposts and concepts that would keep us on the narrow road like guards on the ping pong you know table where it just keeps you right that one's for lost so on long. me guards yeah. on a ping pong table no not, not a ping pong Pool your table? generation your generation you guys played pinball <laughs> pinball okay <laughs> or maybe like um, the bumpers on the bowling so you can't sure get a yeah yes yeah, yeah. so you i mean it, and that gets applied to, like, creeds and stuff now, right? Especially mm, right. in the Reformed world, they talk about how these are guards. Which is appropriate, I think. Yeah, I mean, exactly, except for if you don't know what a creed is. Right. You know, you know, and... and You've and, got this Bible, and you were raised in a world where the Bible was revered in some sense, but misapplied yeah, yeah, at every turn. Misapplied, and the parts of it that mattered were just stuff that had to do with, again, I mean, stuff that everyone already kind of wants to do. You know, you know, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't cuss, so don't cuss. You know, the Bible says you shouldn't steal, so don't steal. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Be a like, good person, that's the Bible. Yeah. But like, as, as far as like some of the complexities in the Trinity and, 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 you know, who points to who, a lot of that stuff, none of us knew anything about. And some of that, I think, was revealed in really, really important, beneficial ways that that sealed for us the legitimacy of what we were chasing, the road that we were going down. And I think and I think that's exactly what's happening here is that Christian has such a limited knowledge of this book. And obviously, everyone inside of the city of destruction has a very limited knowledge of that book. But, you know, it, it's talking about how he's constantly reading it. And yet he needs evangelists to come down and, 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 and point you know, particular passages out yeah. and says, no, no, th- th- this is really walk, really go in that direction. Don't yeah. just think well, about it. he needed it. the direction pointed out to him. Yeah. He'd read fly, flee. I yeah. don't know where, where, fly, where, yeah. So, you know, not only evangelists, but you know, now here's the spirit 
pulling and revealing these uh, concepts and ideas to him. And I think it's securing him. It's truly leading him or like a truly proving to him that this path is correct and that it's right and that uh, there's just something uh, deeper here than something you could find in some other location or some other place. Well, it's, it's interesting that you your example is the Trinity because that's something that right. literally even the successors of the apostles took centuries to bang out and codify in yeah. these ecumenical uh, councils, uh, which result in these canons and creeds. And for something like that to be just plain to you, when even within the church, there's a yeah. lot of bad teaching, modalism, tritheism. You know, I've heard pastors, ordained pastors say, you know, think of the Trinity like an egg. You got the shell, you got the white, you got the yolk, but they're all one thing. Right. Or someone saying, think of it like a family or think of it as just the dad. He's a dad, but he's also a husband and he's also a, uh, you know, a, a neighbor. Or and, yeah. and these are all just terribly awful, off-base things. And for the spirit then to give you a sense of what it means and I wonder if maybe the the idea of the Trinity was a roadblock for you uh, because it seemed counter-logical or something, and that's why the Spirit reveals this to you, or or why that element of, of Christian doctrine, other than that it's central. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was like a, a, a stumbling block or something that we were looking to get over necessarily, but I think that's just one, one really solid example of, you know, before getting into any of these verses where he's talking about this one who's to come, kind of having that knowledge already there. Well, let's look at the actual uh, pictures. There's three this week, and then uh, there'll be some next week as well. Uh, the interpreter's house, he takes him into different rooms. Each room has uh, a mystery, uh, something beneficial to be revealed. It kind of answers, in my mind, to the parables of Jesus in that you could see it and just be like, what? Or you could see it and understand the truth of it, and, and it, that's what you know, sometimes he needs a little prompting and sometimes Christian just, just gets it. Um, I do like that later in part two, some of them are the same and some of them are different. Uh, mm, yeah. So this guy's got more rooms than he shows Christian. He shows Christian the ones he needs to see, uh, particularly. Mm. The sweeping versus sprinkling is the one that I think is the most powerful and the one that I'm most likely to reference back to uh, when I'm talking to somebody who isn't quite grasping the difference between law and gospel, even a, a Christian sometimes has become confused. You know, I need to do these things and jump through these hoops so God will be happy with me. And we need to recognize the role of the law. We saw the law last week, ousting a guy from his house. Right. Uh, but not able to give another pilgrim any hope. So we see that really expounded on here. That the law has a role, but it can't do anything to save you from your sin. The idea of the thick layer of dust is something that never would have occurred to me in a million years. Because it doesn't seem that serious. Hmm. But it's not the, the gravity of having dust in a room. It's the effect of these two different approaches to dealing with that dust that make it so brilliant. And I think he probably pulled this from Ezekiel 36... Uh, I'll read three verses, 25, 26, and 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So before there can be any benefit of the law, something's got to happen with the heart. And when he comes in 
and starts just sweeping and sweeping and sweeping. I like that. Clearly, he hears Christian like hacking up a lung and doesn't stop sweeping for a while. You gotta fill that room with so much dust that you see that stirring up the sin mm -hmm. with the law is the first step toward really admitting I need to deal with the dust in this room, but it could never. You could sweep for a thousand years and all you do is keep those particles in the air and keep making things worse for your own respiratory system mm. and it would never have ultimately any good saving effect. It uncovers and forbids sin, but has no power to remove it. And then for there not to be a shop vac or some big, yeah. powerful, masterful thing to come in, slurping up all the... Instead, he doesn't open a window and blow it out with mm -hmm. like a hundred people pushing. It's just one woman with a bucket of water. Yeah. And she goes and sprinkles all of it. And now suddenly it's easily dealt with. Now, I don't think that there, there's any sense of our sin isn't horrific. And we look at what Christ had to endure on the cross for it. But like it becomes instantly manageable by the one who sprinkles it, by the mm. one who cleanses us. And and the idea of it would look now so much smaller. Yeah. It's 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 now been conquered. It's yeah. been overcome. It, what a beautiful picture of how we try to deal with our sin from a human point of view versus how God has dealt with it. Maybe if the water would have been blood rather than a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they're... Right on the nose. <laughs> yeah. And then you have a different issue of like, how do you get blood off the floors? Which is I don't know. The dust soaks it up. Okay, okay. Maybe, I get yeah. the water off the floor. It's it's the same. Well, dry and not. Well, I mean, we're we're probably we're probably delving too deeply yeah. into the allegory. Yeah. I wonder. I mean, th there are times in the Old Testament and New where we talk about being sprinkled, and of course, baptism is water, which is a symbol for us of being washed in the blood of Jesus. So there's precedent for using water as as a stand-in for the blood. I think that the verses that convey the same truth, uh, there's a few of them here. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. The power of sin is the law, hmm. not the solution to the sin. The, the law actually empowers it. Uh, Galatians 3, 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Romans 5, 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And then Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So I, you have to have experienced, I think, the futility of sweeping. The sweeping stirs it up and it, and it gets it all in your head and it makes you realize this is a big problem. Yeah, well, I think the... I, th I think the the concept of like suffocation and of of trying to deal with it in this way and how it's so above you and it's so beyond you. And I mean, there's a couple of images that he uses, right? I mean, like the, the concept of getting, uh, the, getting to the top of Mount Sinai and like how absolutely impossible that was going to be mm -hmm. where, where any way that you're looking at dealing with this, with this reality inside of you, this sin that you have and any kind of application of law to do that is is going to fail. It's 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 not going to be enough. Um, it takes something completely foreign and someone else completely foreign to have any kind of impact or effect on uh, any of these situations. And I think it's I think it's just the 
the constants, constant reaffirmation for Christian, but also throughout the Bible for us, that the answer isn't your effort. The answer isn't your perfect living or your code or your this or your that. Even inside of the law, the expectation of failure and the giving of this sacrificial system for that failure, pointing towards the Christ that's to come, is always meant to draw one's attention away from self and towards someone else. It's it's always been centrally about Christ. And I think there can be like an elongated period in a lot of people that, that, that it's so foreign to how our world works that something else is going to come in and fix a problem. Something else is going to come in and alleviate this pressure and these feelings. And see, it's contagious. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on lunchtime now. Because um, this is going, they seem to be going longer. They seem to be going longer. Now, now, you said it earlier, though, that there was also even kind of a logic and common sense to yeah. if inside of me is a broken law, I don't think that I'm going to be able to root around in that and find the law that will save me. Like if, if the problem is internal, then I don't think that the solution is internal. But I think that the fact that the world continues, hmm. whether in irreligion or religion, whether the the uh, kind of sense of we have to together collectively save ourselves or you have to you know, climb these stairs on your knees saying a prayer in every one of them. Whatever the case, it's still looking inside yourself. And it's like trying to solve the problem of a poisoned well with water from that well. And that's, I mean, that's right. just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I do love, though, that, well, the thing comes from without that saves us. The gospel then, which is external to us. You look outside of yourself, you know, look just follow your heart is bad advice. Mm-hmm. Look inside yourself to find the answer is bad. You might find what the bonsai tree is supposed to look like, but you're not going to find eternal <laughs> life inside yourself. And if you look inside yourself, you won't. But when you look to the cross, which is external to us, and the gospel, which is something proclaimed to us from outside of ourselves, then the inside of us becomes a suitable habitation for the king of glory, mm. uh, which is what the interpreter says as well. Now that it's swept clean, and not in the sense where the unclean spirit comes back and finds it swept clean, but now there's someone else inhabiting. This is where the king of glory dwells. Mm. Uh, and there are several passages there. Uh, you can read them in your leisure, but we know that we're going a little long here. The painting is my least favorite. How do you feel about that? That's why I didn't put it first. To me, it's, it's, it was, I had to leave some things out and I left, (laughs) we can talk about one of the things I left out. Okay. But, but like, I don't know. I I had a hard time envisioning this painting. It had to be something a little bit. It's a complicated Supernatural, but yeah. There's a lot going on. Does he, does he get so close with like a like one of those jewelers, like magnifying glasses to read the yeah. law and the guy's lips and all this stuff. The, it, but at the same time, it does come from, all of these aspects do come from scripture. Mm-hmm. What I left out, and I had I had struggled with this, and I reached out to you to see if you had any, <laughs> any insight, was a picture of a guy. <laughs> the man of the picture is one in a thousand who can beget children, travail in birth with children, and nurse them himself when they are born. And... Paul does use these analogies for himself as a pastorally hearted man uh, to, to be able to, to nurse the little children. But like when I thought about <laughs> how a painting would convey that yeah. and given like current kind of controversies and, and things about uh, the nature of what a mother is and, and who sure. can embody that. I, I, I thought that uh, it was best just to leave that out maybe. 
And there was enough other stuff going on where yeah. it actually kind of cleaned up the image and made it a little bit easier to... Well, it almost seems like it should be several paintings. Yes, yes, series of paintings. Yeah, he's Give in a gallery a, now, yeah, right? You're in a gallery, a gallery and you see the, the, the woman who gives birth and nurses and, yeah. and then you see that. And, and then all together, they kind of are a, a composite picture of a godly pastor. Sure. That, yeah, yeah. Why didn't he check with you? <laughs> why didn't or, or better yet, yeah. why didn't you say that to me when I asked you what, <laughs> what oh. I should do? Because <laughs> I just came up with it. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, next time. The law of truth is on his lips. Uh, again, that's hard to, to picture what that looks like in a painting, but it's not hard to see it in the scriptures in Malachi 2, uh, 4 to 7. And then when he tells him, this is the only guy authorized, you know, a godly pastor. I want you to have a godly pastor. I don't want you to have nine people you follow on Twitter and Instagram, three people you watch on TV in the afternoon. Right. And, I, and it's good for us to be embracing a lot and, 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 and digesting a lot of truth. Yeah. But... You need to have someone who is indeed your your guide here. Yeah. Now, Christian doesn't say, where do I meet this guy and when? And he seems a little less concerned about this than he maybe should be. Right. But you have pretenders also who are going to come in if there's a vacuum, right? And they are going to come in telling you that they have the way that leads to truth. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way to death. Uh, Jesus told us in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And then he goes on with uh, the idea of you can't get grapes from thorn bushes. You can't get good fruit from bad trees, etc. You will recognize them all by their fruit. And so I think what's even kind of a, a second level for guys like you and me, hmm. application of this, an ironic application is we're reading this from Bunyan. Mm -hmm. We read about Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress in Spurgeon. Um, right. I'm, I'm recording more of those uh, in a couple days. Uh, and we're reading about them in Alexander White. and the, But they're all dead. They themselves can't be for us this guy. They can, they can be tools for our piety and for our uh, benefit, but I know too many people for whom, yeah, I've got a pastor, but really my pastor is, hmm. you know, even John Stott, who's just recently with the Lord, uh, but even when he was alive, wasn't really your pastor because he was a famous guy who writes on the other side of the world or, right. or is Luther. My, my pastor is really John Calvin. Mm-hmm. Um, no, he's not. Right. There was a wonderful article. Uh, it was a savage article, but it was it was really insightful on uh, Team Pyro years and years ago that I think about once in a while uh, called Porn and Paper Pastors. Hmm. And it essentially said the same thing that's so horrible and dehumanizing and destructive about pornography, that it takes what should be a wonderful relationship that a man has with a woman as a person uh, a woman with flaws, a woman who's going to sometimes be in a bad mood, and, and you with her, a woman who uh, is going to know your your failings and flaws, right. and, and with whom you're going to have a meaningful relationship that is well-rounded um, and involves the marriage bed, but also the everyday, it involves date night, but also wiping snot off of kids' noses or whatever. Right. It turns it into this moment of... No, it's just this thing, and it's just on paper, and it's just for your benefit, and you don't have to give, and there's no flaws in this woman. They've been airbrushed out, and there's no flaws in you to her because she can't see you, and it does the same thing with the pastoral relationship. Sure. Where now, you know, yes, we know that Luther had flaws. I, I keep telling you, other than the fact that he seems to be even yet chubbier than me, 
I have a hard time, you know, once in a while, Spurgeon would say something uh, that you go, e that sounds racist, and you wouldn't say that now. And I give him the benefit of the doubt because because of how hard he worked for racial reconciliation and how obviously he affirmed the, the image of God in everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to kind of smooth over all that stuff all these centuries later. If he was really my pastor, though, right. I'd know his flaws and he'd know mine. There'd be a, a real relationship. And, and I think that there's a second tier warning here. Gosh, I'm talking a lot. For people who consider themselves maybe too advanced to have a mere human pastor that's alive and breathing right now. Someone who had a photograph taken with the 80s laser backdrop. No, no, no. I need someone who was painted. Portraits of him were painted. I need someone who existed on a higher level. And I'm, you know, the church is so full of hypocrites and jerks and, and it's compromised. So I'm, I'm above that. Um, careful. Mm. You're already going off the narrow path at this point. Well, and, and, and you're doing what your heart is best at, which is definitely chiseling out an idol. Mm. But but you know you're kind of you're kind of baptizing it as holy. This is a holy idol. I mean, doesn't Paul say to look look to me and do what I do as I imitate Christ? So you know, isn't it appropriate that I have all these like dead guys pictures and like I'm trying to imitate their lives? Is yeah. We're, the, the ironic thing is we're surrounded by paintings of John Calvin, Adoniram Judson, yeah. uh, John Calvin again, bust of John Calvin and Charles Spurgeon. Yeah. Um, so obviously this maybe I'm... So I'm in the heart of it, people. Yeah. yeah. Maybe this is a temptation for me and that's why mm. I went on such a long rant about it. I don't know. <laughs> and especially for a pastor who needs a pastor mm. in a tradition like Bunyan's where there isn't a hierarchy, but I have the pastor of my youth is still alive, two of them actually. Uh, and we have, you know, Dr. Brian Johnson is is the executive minister I can go to, or he checks in with me if he catches right. wind something hard is going on. So, well, and 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 it, there's also that thing that is like, does it, it having having you as a pastor who I meet with often, and I get to just see living an everyday life. I get to, and I guess this might sound jerkish, Uh-oh. but I get to see what happens when the godly man fails. Mm. Yeah, you no, know, that's important, isn't it? Yeah, you know, um, where with a lot of these guys, a lot of the stuff that's, you know, you don't speak ill of the dead or whatever, where the majority of the stuff that's filling these books are all the great, wonderful effects and, 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 and you know, and, and things that they did for the gospel. And that's great. And that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. But it was important for the people in their congregation to see what happens when their pastor fails. Let's see what happened when our pastor loses a close friend and you know you know how does he deal with it how does he turn to god and seek grace and inside of discomfort and um that's hard to do with dead people yeah right you know, and it, maybe that's the appeal though because there's nothing messy about it right yeah. it's very delineated with even like right after someone dies everything that was annoying about that person that 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 turned your skin now it's a cute little foible and when someone brings it up you chuckle and nod and go yeah mm. that was mabel that was bob whatever there's something about that that we're meant to walk in life with each other, yeah. Though, and to have you know a band of brothers, sisters in the faith, uh, and guides, and we can be guides to one another as well. As we, I mean, certainly, I get an awful lot out of studying the scriptures with people who are members of my congregation, and we have a plurality of elders here too. So you know, there's there's in the sense of us ministering to each other in leadership, all of that. But Christian, 
just would be good to have anybody. Yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> what what if what if he's walking side by side with Faithful, the mm. brawler, when when uh they come upon Apollyon? Now suddenly, right. instead of fighting for the better part of a day, maybe it's over in an hour and a half because one of them can slip around behind him and put him in a sleeper hold. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there, there's just a, a danger to the lone wolfing it that I see as an undercurrent throughout part one. Um, and, and after it, what's funny is we see, we see all of Christian's flaws, right? Mm. And then as soon as he's dead... Yeah. It, spoiler alert, he does die <laughs> at the end. And it's a, and it's a victory. But uh, as soon as he's dead... Everyone speaks of him in part two with this absolute reverence. Part of that is a function of him just acknowledging that his book has become very famous and it's mm. in everybody's homes in England. Right. But part of it is now that he's dead, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And we need to revere those who've gone before us. But there's danger in doing that more than valuing those who are walking alongside us. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, Passion and Patience, which is about two children uh, who are both made to wait for their governor's best things. I love mm. the, like, old-timey Downton Abbey feel of kids in a bedchamber who have I a governor. Knew, I knew that this is what the, yeah, that this is what it was about. What's that? Oh, I said it to myself. I was on, I was on Max Shai's bike, you know? I, uh-huh. was, I was reaching the target weight so I could unlock <laughs> so this file. Those... Yeah, so I could open this file. <laughs> and uh, you start... You st- Everything about it stunk of Downton Abbey. I was like, this is what this is. Do you want to know how many articles, this is what how many guy... academic articles I read about what a 17th century house looks like and how it functions? And it was such a pleasure for you. I read, so I bring my kid to karate. Yeah. This is, this is a little glimpse inside my life sometimes. <laughs> then I go to the mall, which is right by where he does karate. And I sit in one of those chairs where you swipe your debit card and it massages you. <laughs> And I read for the entire two hours that my son was teaching a class and then taking a class. And I took so many notes. And and 99% of it's just not going to be applied at all to the thing. But, like, yeah, there was there was a sense in which this is, this is a country house. This guy, it, it's kind of a weird, rickety old one, though, in some yeah. sense. Like, right, it's full of dust. There's all this weird, mysterious stuff. Yeah. But still, he's got weird servants. paintings. He's yeah. got, yeah, yeah. There's, there's something almost kind of spooky about the whole thing. It's, it's, it, I love, I love it. I love the interpreter's house. Yeah. So when you've read this in the past, it's just like a regular small house, but it like magically or miraculously has a lot of rooms. It's not like a big. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, there's definitely like more magic involved where it's definitely less like, uh, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like with our two interpretations, I'm going more mid, like medieval Europe. And I feel like you're going more. Well, kind of like we're kind of, kind of, like of straddling turn that aren't we? of the yeah you're like you're, you're like turn of the century kind of like we're both you know. wrong because this is yeah. post medieval oh, for sure and, and for certainly sure. pre like Edwardian so um, yeah no but I I did look up the 17th century like yeoman cottage mm-hmm. house particularly to inform what 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 the layout would be and what this would look like yeah um, and it, I got magic I mean a guy materializes yeah, between yeah, these course. two children and one of them grows up before his eyes. Of course, but like I was thinking, maybe like maybe like each room is adaptable. This this is Ooh, makes no like sense. You, but like no, each room no. is adaptable yeah. to what needs to be shown to when that particular person. When he leads them in, yeah, no, yeah, okay. So like that room changes. Maybe it isn't there's... always just a weird painting on the wall. Yeah, it's something else for somebody else. I sort of like that too, though. Or it's a spring with two different kinds of water, and then like, oh, mm-hmm. this is what you need to hear because you're double-minded right. or something. Or so so that's what I've always 
pictured it more as. Not too a, late for me to have him go back into the same room oh, and have it be something, something different. Else. Yeah. Um, or or to have like a uncredited cameo by Mr. Bates okay. from from Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm hearing is that you did all this research and then. But that only took you about 25 minutes, and then you said, eh, I'll just watch a couple episodes of Downton Abbey. You can't watch just a couple episodes of Downton okay, Abbey. Okay, so you right watched now. like a season or whatever of Downton <laughs> Abbey, and then you were like, there's no oh, this ballots, is what There's I'll... no footmen, there's nothing like that here. No, okay. So, Passion and Patience, <laughs> I think that uh, you, you can kind of sum these up with two verses from James, one mm-hmm. near the beginning, one near the end. Uh, James 1.14, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. James 5, 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There are two approaches to, to life ultimately. And the one that is celebrated even in like programming for kids and stuff is live in the moment, live in the now, mm. get what you can while you're alive. You, YOLO. I know no one says that anymore. Seize the That's day. become like the relic of a certain kind of college girl or something and it's outdated, but it's yeah. the concept still permeates. You only live once, uh, and that's kind of flies in the face of everything the gospel promises. Well, it's false. Yeah, Absolutely, right. yeah. The Dives and Lazarus as examples, uh, that, that's in Bunyan's text. I kind of uh, truncated it a little bit. But, but Abraham saying, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. There is an eternal perspective that a pilgrim will have. Mm. Uh, and from the very beginning, when he's arguing with Apollyon, which we haven't gotten to yet in the narrative, he says uh, Pilgrim doesn't expect to be given rewards now, but is content to wait for the world to come. Yeah. Uh, so set your eyes on things that are to come, things that are above. Second uh, Corinthians 4.18, so we fix our eyes not, uh, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Uh, and I think that runs right into the idea of wanton. Uh, because she says, grab what you can now, because mm. you're going to go through that, that door. And at that point, eh, life becomes not worth living. Mm. So <laughs> live it up now. And I, I, I remember sitting in youth group and looking around and seeing a lot of cultural Christians who didn't want to be there. Their mom and dad made them. And we had a, a youth pastor just for the summer who was kind of get, trying to get the feel of things. And he was asking us about our, our spiritual lives. And this one young lady said, I don't read the Bible at all. I don't pray. Uh, I don't think about stuff like that. I think about having fun. And he said, well, do you plan to at some point become more spiritual or, or focus on these things? And she said, oh, yeah, definitely. Hmm. Yeah. That's <laughs> the wrong kind of patience. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'll put right. that off. <laughs> but now yeah. I got to have the good things now. And you burn through them if you if you take them now. If you wait for the reward that is to come, where moth and rust can't destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal, then there's no end to the, the reward that we experience, mm-hmm. the presence of Christ, of his good things. Uh, and, and so wanton, I mean, there's this long passage from Proverbs. Um, there's also the idea of uh, her beguiling him, bewitching with her looks. I do want to acknowledge that probably there is, in anybody reading this today, a reaction to this idea. This isn't a full-on scene drawn out like this. It's it's a recollection in Bunyan's work as they walk over the enchanted ground. But uh, it's right from the scriptures. And it isn't in the scriptures as well. This is almost allegorical. It's, 
you know, we're perf- personifying a woman as wisdom and another woman as folly. Right. Uh, and, and here we're not painting women as the problem. And I no. think that's, there's a big controversy right now and there's a lot of fighting online. Is it the responsibility of women to make sure they cover themselves up completely so men won't be tempted to lust? Or is it responsibility of the men to keep their eyes where they belong and not to lust? And mm. I think the answer is... Kind of, yeah. Probably both. Um, if you're yeah. a believers anyway, and you care for the other person and don't want to be a stumbling block. But here we have a, a situation where you could look at this from the outside and say, yeah, Wanton's the problem. She's there to drag him away and, you know, women, right? Uh, <laughs> whereas, I mean, I, I hint at this being kind of a, a spiritual situation anyway, because at the end, oh, when yeah. he doesn't give in, she turns yeah. on him. She knows both him and Faithful or in Christian by name. But also... It doesn't work with Christian yeah. because inside of him, nothing gets hooked onto. Mm. You, in our men's Bible study, we're doing James right now, and we just got to this passage of being enticed and dragged away by your own shameful lust. It means that if the devil does come and tempt you or the world offers temptation, ultimately, it's the flesh that drags you away yeah. and leads you astray. It's you. It's inside you. You can't point and say, oh, it's the fault of of those women wearing those revealing clothing. You can't say it's the fault of the video games that are out there. You can't mm. you can't point to anything but your own sinful heart. And I don't want to then go to the opposite extreme of saying we can't talk about these very important universal for all of the history of mankind issues of men who are strong men being weaker than weak as soon as they encounter a woman who beguiles them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean to that, I'd add that last portion of First Corinthians ten thirteen, where God has provided you with a means to endure, mm-hmm. um, as as almost not working so much as like a curse, but like but like it's it's almost applied to you in that way, where you do have everything inside of yourself, like Christian does, to deny that temptation. God has given you that ability, and if you give in to it, you know... That's an interesting question. Is it something inside of yourself? I mean, you have the spirit inside of yourself, and you, and you have the, the new creation that is being built up. Right. But is the, you know, you are, when you're tempted, it is only what is common to man, uh, and God has given you a, a route it of escape. Is that it. something external, even? Hmm. Like, where, where you falter inside and go, oh, no, I'm about to fall. Yeah. I'm about to... to Pick your eyes up and even maybe even physically look around and say, God promised a way out. There's yeah, a way out. There's, there's way something. Out. And if you, but like, but like not finding it is never a problem of God's. It's never right, something yeah. you can point back to. It is say, inside of and, yourself. Yeah. And, and say, well, you didn't give me what I needed or, you know, you didn't, you didn't deliver me for this sin. How many times have I prayed and prayed and prayed mm-hmm. and prayed and prayed that I'm delivered from the sin and it hasn't magically happened? What's going on? No, no, it's there. The out is there. Um, the problem is, is that the want for that sin is still there as well, and I think, and I think you see that in Faithful, here, where there still is a want for that, where it almost works. Yeah, he's he's sucked way deeper into a lot of these ideas than Christian ever is, because sure he doesn't have the foundation of marriage, but he has the same disgusting, ugly visage. He has this same kind of relationship or beginning of a relationship with the Lord inside of him where the response should have been the same a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's that past uh, 
past problems to deal with and and I think maybe like a little bit of a provision inside of himself where well would it would, would it would it really be such a bad thing would it really be such a and I think what you said earlier was really apt about the promise of these sins is that life isn't worth living without them you know mm. I struggled for a while to get over nicotine and that was almost a thought that I had when I first quit smoking was is life even worth living if I don't have a nicotine high going? Really? Is it? You know, I mean, like, at his absolute worst. I think if I would have known that, by the way, that, that thought had been a part of your your yeah. your mind at some point, I never would have uh, invited yeah. you over for cigars and pipes. I had to get my book, Which though. was literally the first time yeah. that uh, you and I hung out was over pipes. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, that's that's an empty promise. Well, yeah, it's... it's, it's it, it's the empty promise of the substance. It's the empty promise of any of these sins, really, is that is life really worth, is it, is, is it really worth giving up this one thing? Because now you're going to be on the other side of it, and you're going to have to look at me and deal with me and, and miss me mm-hmm. and want me, where that isn't true. It's an expulsive power. After you're on that other side, that should, I think, slowly um, kind, kind of dissipate. It will ebb, but then there will be probably a, a point where you think, you know, you forget, let everyone who think he stand yeah. take heed lest he fall, yeah. and you'll you'll think, oh man, I'm I'm better than I'm that, I'm it. past that, and then the enemy will be ready for that opening. But even then, yeah, even though it feels like, oh, this is unbearable, there it's just common to man. Common and to there man. There is a way out. Yeah. And in, in in the case of Faithful, he arrives at the gate like bloodied and battered and beaten. Yeah. And you know, he, so so Christian takes off with his fingers in his ears at the beginning, mm-hmm. and Faithful runs up to the gate with his eyes squeezed shut at the yes. end of, of the, that first leg of the journey. But all the same, they there. make it. Yeah, and, and and that's what matters. I think it's also interesting that you had this like remembrance of maybe like his religion as like a as a kid, right? He has this he has this yeah. idea like back, and he's like, wait, 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 I've heard of this, I've yeah. heard of this problem. Um, and it's interesting that it would come to mind now and not while he's right living in a town, rampant life, living yeah. like a rampant town. There's something that's changed now where he goes, wait, wait, wait. I, uh, I have a recollection, and this is not good for me. This is bad for me. And um, I mean that that is pulled directly from. It's a very short little. Let me tell you about this woman wanton. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, she promised me these things. And Christian, one of the few jokes I think, and the whole thing is this rye. Did she promise you the content of a clean conscience? <laughs> right. No, she promised me other stuff. Yeah. But uh, he says, I, I've suddenly remembered these words. Her her feet drag you down to hell, and and, and like he he just it just came to him, mm-hmm. and it could have been. It's not, it's not specifically said. It could have been him reading the book like Christian was. Yeah. It could have been something he heard as a child. It could have been the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, if the Holy Spirit brings words into your mind and you find those in the scriptures later, yeah. you can know that that was the Holy Spirit. And then you can probably lay to rest some of the super, super hardcore cessationism you maybe had. Is there anything more we need to discuss here? There's more texts for you to read. Um, yeah, you you even, you didn't realize I had that First Corinthians 10, 13, that, and you, you brought it. You brought it this way. Um, I think that the uh, Job 31 one, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze upon the Betula, the uh, young lady or the virgin? I don't think Wanton's a virgin, but uh, she's uh, It's the same idea. It starts with the eyes. And so many sins do. You know, they start with the eyes uh, and then they become coveting and desire. And and it's that thing in in James, right? Mm. Uh, What is it? Uh, Desire gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully 
born gives birth to death. Yes. Did I miss a, miss a step there? Close enough. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's right because we yeah. wound up saying that uh, death is the grandchild of desire right. often. You know, there's, yeah. there's one generation removed. I think all of us have experienced uh, that moment as well. If we've if we've been on the pilgrim road, uh, where the absolute gravity of of our sin and the greatness of the grace of our Savior both mm-hmm. kind of hit us at the same time, and that's the cross, and that's where we go next time. So, here's the thing I want to tell you: I've got it. No, this other podcast. I'm going to see it next time like that. <laughs> um, there's a uh, outline I've got going, and it's a pretty short outline for next time. So I'm going to try and wheel back. Time for the some slow blowing. <laughs> what did you think of the mushrooms? Unnecessary? No, dude, I loved it. I, I did too. It, I thought it was. It reminded me of my favorite literary work, The Lord of the Rings. Uh huh. Just some, yeah, right. just some shortcut to mushrooms. Yeah, we're gonna have a little. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I start a great minds chapter, and I don't even yeah. know where it's going. Michael Scott. <laughs> all right, that is all for this week. And by that is all I mean that that that's a lot uh, and uh, we will see you next time until then stay on the narrow road thanks for listening to support the Pilgrim's Progress podcast and for additional content and perks visit patreon.com slash pilgrims progress And make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, high in silver, all rights reserved. Theme music licensed from pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version. Copyright 2001 by Crossway, used by permission. And silver. Good. Check.